Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Every day, hundreds of thousands of us are building a future we can all be proud of. For over 36 years, the growth CBUS My Super Investment Option has returned an average of 8.98% per annum for its members while investing in projects that not only create jobs, but a better future. CBUS for all of us. To consider if CBUS is right for you, go to cbussuper.com.au for a PDS. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. It's the weekend again, which means on the final word, we have ourselves some story time. I'm Adam Collins, and down the other end of my Zoom screen sits Jeff Lemon in his wood cabin. I'm decked out in a blanket on the sofa because it's the start of the English season tomorrow. We're recording this midweek, giving nothing away early on, and that means the temperature plummets. Izzy Westbury, Jeff, uh, did some research on this yesterday, and in each of the last five years, with the exception of 2020, when, of course, there was no county championship in April, the temperature's gone from like roughly 18 to 20 in the week before the season before dropping to single digits when Ball is meeting Bat in round one. And that is precisely what's happened again. I'm freezing, but I'm happy. Hello, Jeff. (laughs) One of my favourite things for the week was watching all of the social media accounts for all of the cricket publications just putting up the same clips of like, oh, look, it's snowing, it's some training. (laughs) Um, There are times sort of like... 
you got to cast your net a bit wider, fellas. <laughs> you know, you're like, come on. It'll, it's, 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 it's quite nice here in Australia. So, you know, I just, just went for a walk. It was quite pleasant outside, even though it's nighttime. Relatively mild. Uh, so, so, you know, make of that what you will. Um, but, yeah, you look yeah, – I, I feel cold looking at you, basically. Yeah, it reminds me of – well, you do this quite a bit where the blanket over your shoulders when we're recording when it's deep midwinter mm. in Melbourne. So nice to be able to uh, reverse that as we start our new season over over here. We will uh, keep this as brief as we can this week. I'm mindful we nearly went for two hours on story time last weekend, which was lots of fun, but we probably don't need to be talking for two hours at the weekend. We'll see how we go. Before we get into the new numbers and all the rest of it, Dara to Dream, our trip to Pakistan and Brazil, continues to gather steam. And Urban has been in touch saying if we need a spare smoker or a fifth scorer, he's available for either of those. He might be our pastry chef as well, so uh, the support staff is going well. Bernie Prince has a potato skills that he wants to offer us on the tour. I mean, we're going to take those up, yeah. aren't we? If you've got potato skills, I, I, I like them. how vague that is, um, <laughs> and I I feel that we shouldn't inquire anymore. I think something like that should be left as a surprise. You know, as it best, is best left because it could be anything. It could be glorious. Um, the, one of my friends, when I was a teenager, built one of those potato cannons. I was thinking the same of, thing. You know, lengths of well. PVC pipe <laughs> with the um, yep, the igniter from the hot water system yeah. and you spray some hairspray or whatever in there and, yeah, vividly remember firing people's laundry off their clotheslines over the back fence if you could, you know, get it in the middle of a T-shirt or something, if you'd, like, pin it to the back door. Um, so whether the skills relate to that, I don't know, Bernie, but I, I look forward to finding out once we're <laughs> mid-air. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if we bring a piece of PVC piping that's a bit like a Kalashnikov into Pakistan it'll end well but you know we'll see how things play out on that front. Onto uh, a flight anywhere probably. <laughs> um, We've got a cricketer Ben Slater who's one of my best friends and uh, a fine player at that. He wants to come so I think he's our number three and I think in practice mm-hmm. he'll probably be our captain as well because he's very good at that so thanks Slats for uh, putting your hand up to come on tour. Uh, Nick Tewson hasn't specified what support staff role he'll play so I'm assuming that he's going to be a cricketer too so we've got two mm-hmm. legitimate players in Ben and Nick so thanks for both getting in touch Matthew Jones who we've been uh, working on his nerve pledge recently informed us that in terms of proximity to Sao Paulo it is 9,491 kilometres for me and 13,077 kilometres for Jeff so on both the Pakistan route and the Brazil route the first leg will be uh, quicker for me which is uh, good to know thank you Matthew mm. and I also should note we had a number of messages over the weekend informing us that the Tailenders uh, podcast are also going to Brazil uh, Roberta uh, went on their show last week and that's just fantastic we're not quite sure how this is going to stitch together but i have been in touch with the tailenders guys after their interview and uh once we're allowed to legally be in pub gardens together we will combine for a beer or a glass of wine or something like that and we'll see what the art of the possible is next year for that brazil leg of the trip of course because we're going to <laughs> pakistan too so that could be huge i don't really know where it's going to land but it sounds quite exciting yeah th- th- this was quite funny w- watching all of that unfold Yes. Um, there's people going, wait, hang on, what's going on here? <laughs> we are fine. I, I need to specify we're fine with the Brazilian cricket team seeing other podcasts. Um, that's, you know, we, we, have, we have a liberal-minded approach to these things. Uh, and and as, as the recent episode, uh, Keys in the Bowl, indicated, look, the more the merrier. Uh, let's, let's get everybody on this trip and make it uh, the trip of our lifetimes. Why not? Uh, yep. At such time as people are actually free and happy to travel around and 
enjoy their lives again. Uh, why shouldn't we all do that together? Yeah, especially considering the horrible news out of Brazil the last couple of days in terms of their um, COVID deaths and infections going absolutely through the roof. So something to look forward to in terms of when uh, that country gets back on its feet again. On the other leg, the, the Pakistan Derek Ishmael Khan leg, we've had a ton of messages asking for the T-shirt that we flagged last week. So, Jeff, you've got some work to do. You're going to have to um, work on this uh, during the week. We're going to be catching up with League Tees again and we'll find a way to have uh, the Derek Ishmael Khan logo alongside the final word logo and uh, we'll put that on sale as soon as it is possible. I was wondering, Jeff, based on our weekly show conversations the last couple of weeks about Mr. Sheffield, whether we might have to do (laughs) a Sheffield Shield nanny final word crossover tea as well. So always good to throw these ideas on the whiteboard and see what sticks, you know. Yeah, I, look, I think we'll we'll have to have a segment at some point where we're going to run through the ideas that we've got and um, put some feelers out because I'm sure there are people who remember much more clearly what we've said on the show than we do, um, given that it all sort of goes past in a terrifying blur while we're recording. So we're not organised to do that this weekend, but we will do that at some point. You know what I think we should do, Jeff, in our, what, what are we calling it? Not a live recording session, but in two weeks' time, as we said on the weekly show, we're inviting our patrons to sort of watch us record a show just to sit in just to like, sit in to hang out yeah you know it's uh it's uh <laughs> so in that q a so we'll put an invitation to all our patrons not a bad time to sign up if you do want to get on board and help us overtake jimmy anderson on 614 but when we're doing the q a maybe we'll also go through our merchandise ideas and we can hive mind uh what some of the t-shirts and other bits and pieces might look like We'll we'll also be hive-minding a bit in terms of the answers on today's show because in the revisit section there are quite a few numbers which, quite frankly, NFI (laughs) and we're going to to need to reach out for some assistance on those. Yeah, it's getting harder, isn't it? And that's fine. Um, We're not dissuading you from uh, or discouraging you from sending us clues, but some of the clues have been extremely difficult to decipher so we're all about no clue to start with uh, giving us some space to run in the yard have a little frolic have a little gallop and then upon getting it wrong then steering us in the right direction perhaps that might be a a better practice so that we can tell some better stories but equally if you want to tell us a really a really pointed clue that's fine as well where we get in trouble with the cryptic ones isn't it Mm, yeah, we're not well equipped for that. Um, <laughs> mathematics and, and, and cryptic crossword clues. You know our weakness. Um, and once you've once you found that weakness, you just press down on it. You press down. What was that? Uh, I remember the AFL footballer Jonathan Brown talking about how Lee Matthews saw them smiling once and yelled at them. And, and, and his, his closing statement was, we never smiled again. Like, wow, that sounds awful. That sounds absolutely horrible. I mean, sure, you won some premierships, but you never smiled again. Uh, Jesus Christ! It's a, it's, it's like a, a curse. It's like an ancient <laughs> Greek. You know? Oh, sure, you can you can taste the golden ambrosia of the gods, but you're cursed to never smile again, Jonathan Brown. I don't think Barry Cable ever smiled again after Lee Lee Matthews dealt with him, but that's a whole different story. I think the uh, the Lee Matthews line, "If they bleed, we can kill it from predator," was more persuasive than "You will never." smile again (laughs) anyway uh jeff i think with all that said and done it is time for a little bit of nerd pledge nerd pledge it's the game around which we base this show uh the game that we play with the people on our patron page those lovely folk who keep the show going and they do so by sending us little contributions little barack obama 2008 contributions oh yeah but not in a round number not in a five or a ten but in a a very specific number of 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 currency units 
because that number relates to cricket in some way and we have to work out what it is. The first number is $2.56 and it comes in from the quadruple H. That is Harry Howard, who became known on this show as Harry Hoffney Hobart Hines <laughs> Howard, the two fifty six. And uh, Harry says, he sends a clue. You don't have to do that, but you can. And Harry does. The uh, quintuple H says, the number I'm referencing could probably have reached a lot higher, but it reflects well on this cricketer that it didn't. Thoughts? Hmm. Hmm. Well, my first thoughts were 256. It could be the number of test runs somebody has made ending with a really high average or perhaps more likely the bowling average, Mm 25.6 for a player who might only have a dozen wickets and thus Mm -hmm. having bowled more would have potentially swelled that number. But I didn't go much further than that. Yeah. Thought I'd leave it to you. Well, I'm coming back to this phrase that it reflects well on this cricketer, which means it's got to be something to do with selfishness or a lack thereof. Because there are lots of numbers in cricket that are better if they're lower, you know, like an economy rate or a bowling average or a buyers conceded or whatever. But that's not necessarily... Like, that could apply to any any cricketer. There's got to be something specific mm, about mm. this where a higher number would have been... You know, maybe someone playing it safer for themselves or something like that. There's there's the Ken Barrington 256 that he makes to to bat out a draw against the Australians after they've made 600-odd. So maybe it reflects well on him that he was disciplined and didn't try to score more runs because he, he faced – I haven't looked this up um, as part of the show, it just occurred to me, but he, he faced 600-odd deliveries and – batted for maybe 11 and a half hours, something like that. So maybe that's yeah, a thing that's where the, he, could have, he could have scored more and didn't. That's the response to the Simpson 311, isn't it? So mm. it's, if I recall correctly, those two huge scores in a, in a very boring yeah. draw. Old Trafford, I want to say. Yeah. So, yeah, so, all, all, that, that all could work. So, so I mean, you know, a bowling average obviously is it's good that it's low. Andy Roberts, Josh Hazelwood had a 25.6 test average. Um, Colin Stewart in One Day Internationals, I was pleased to see, 25.6. Remember Colin Stewart, West Indies fast bowler who played five ODIs? Gosh. He came out on the 2000-2001 tour to Australia <laughs> when they were getting absolutely polaxed by Steve Waugh's team. He was from Guyana, yeah. um, short, skiddy. Um, he was batting with Brian Lara in that one day at the SCG when Lara made 100 in a run chase and was batting with Colin Stewart at number 10, I think, and, and then the rain came when they needed 40 or 50 to win and Lara was absolutely going off his chops and ruined a potentially all-time great finish. Yeah, I remember from that series that it was like thoroughly dominant for Australia. Mm. They were part of that run they were on uh, where they just couldn't be touched. And I remember it was the first series where we had play-on music for... Mm batsman as they were walking out and I don't remember what song it is and mm. someone will remind me but Mervyn Dillon had something noteworthy as he walked out um, to bat right. in each of the games for the West Indies as their opening bowler so that, that will be in the back of someone's mind I'm sure and let me know Mostly for that I remember that I think it was the following summer or, or maybe it was 023 when New Zealand were touring, 012 um, or when 
there were about five different players in the New Zealand eleven who had Sandstorm as their walk-on music. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it was just really popular in the team at the time, or the DJ just um, applied it for everyone who hadn't put in a preference. You know, you, you better tell me a song or you get Sandstorm. But yeah, sports betting enthusiast Chris Cairns walking out to it's a memory that that lingers long for me. So yeah, Colin Stewart, memory lane. So so the only thing that occurred to me was it could could it be a daring declaration you know where someone declared on 256 setting a lower target but New Zealand's made 256 without being bowled out a bunch of times of Stephen Fleming in the third innings at Perth in 2001 declared on 256 mm-hmm. but at that point they were nine down and Chris Martin was next to come in and they were 440 in front so I wouldn't really class that as daring you know he passed up the opportunity to have Chris Martin increase the lead <laughs> in 2018 when New Zealand were batting for a draw against England uh, they were 256 for eight at the end Ish Sodi 56 from 168 balls. So you could say it reflects well on him that he didn't try to score more runs. But look, all of that's a roundabout way of saying that I don't know. So if someone can decode Harry Howard's clue, again, the number I'm referencing could probably have reached a lot higher, but it reflects well on this cricketer that it didn't. If you can solve that during the next few days, let us know. Or Harry, if you want to send us a hint in a DM, you can do that too. Next up, Jeff, we have from Joe Reinhardt, 544. I just went with bowling figures on this one. So 5 for 44 has been taken 32 times in international cricket, never by Chris Lewis, who was cap 544 for England. Um, the first time 5 for 44 was taken was actually a, a game by coincidence, Jeff, that you were talking about no more than three or four days ago on oh. our previous story time, which is the uh, the Sydney Ashes Test of 1888. Oh, yes. Uh, where Charlie Terra-Turner took five for 44 from 50 overs when the two openers uh, bowled. JJ Ferris bowled 47, I think it yep. was, so they bowled 97 of the first 100 overs or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. But yes, five for 44 from 50 was his figures and backed it up with seven for 43 in the second to finish with 12 for 87 from 88 overs in a losing effort, which is just... Utterly ridiculous, but I suppose um, reflective of the times, Jeff, that we would see a scorecard that looked that bonkers. Other noteworthy 5 for 44s, though. Terry Alderman at Leeds in 1989 on the final day there. I think that that is the most significant away victory for Australia, mm-hmm. certainly in that decade. But you could argue that that got the ball rolling on something very special. The first test match of the... Uh, of the 89 Ashes series and it was Alderman on the final day as it was uh, throughout the, the course of that series when he picked up 41 wickets. Uh, Graham Swan, Jeff at Lords, one you'll remember from 2013 when he oh, hit yeah. Bucky in the dick yep. and then you went out and recorded your Hey Watson video about Shane's uh, injudicious use of the DRS which denied Bucky the chance to use it himself? Well, no, it was actually Chris Rogers' injudicious use of the DRS because Chris Rogers later confessed that he told Shane Watson to review that one, what I was going to walk off. And Rogers (laughs) said, I reckon that's going down. And so Shane Watson reviewed it. And then Chris Rogers, having already facilitated burning that review, did not feel confident in using the other review for himself (laughs) when he was hit in the box by a full toss from Graham Swan about a foot outside leg stump that inexplicably got given out LBW. So, uh, yeah, that was... Yeah, he didn't, he didn't pick went. it up, right? He, I think it was above the sight screen. Yeah. Whatever it was, he, he did not see the ball and, and the rest is history. But thankfully, he, he uh, that, that was his um, the second test match of that series. By the end of it, he was 
pounding runs. He made 100 at Durham, which was celebrated widely. Another 5 for 44 I want to mention is Harman Preet Kaur. Um, she picked up a, a five-wicket bag in one of her two test matches against South Africa in 2014. The other would have been mm. against England, I suppose, in, in 2014 at Wormsley. But two things here. One is that the good news is she'll get to add to that tally of test matches when uh, when England hosts them here in what will probably be, as my um, sources are telling me, it'll probably be in the fourth week of June. And uh, a get well for Harman Preet as well. She's got um, COVID-19. She tested positive uh, last week. I gather from the reporting that she hasn't got severe symptoms, but all the same, she's laid up at the moment. So hopefully she'll be back on her feet, back on her feet rather, fit as a fiddle and ready to roll uh, when they come to England uh, later in the season. So that's my suite of options for 544. Joe Reinhardt, let us know. Lovely. Our next number is a double header. This means two different people have the same number, but they might have it for completely different reasons. The number is $2.17. It comes in from Hamish Stairs, who is my favourite patron with a name that is also a complete sentence, <laughs> and Richard Casamento. Ricardo Casamento. I'm doing the fingers um, into the <laughs> webcam at the moment. You can't see that, but just, just, I just want you to know that that's happening. There is a clue from Richard, which will be very close to the heart of one Adam Collins. An ODB, says Richard. I like that he's turned the uh, the dusty old bastard into an old dirty bastard, who is the rapper from the Wu-Tang Clan, um, which, you know, I, I appreciate. Um, hey, dirty, maybe I've got your money, don't you worry. An ODB, they're, cl- they're pretty much the same thing. And we, indeed, when we came up with the DOBs, that was the first reference we thought of from mm. Richard. So you are, you are very close to what we were intending people to think about. So a dusty old bastard, that means, which is a, a very old cricketer who did not play a lot of test cricket. Uh, Richard says, not as impressive as his son, but his son's achievements were not cricket related. Mm. Adam, as you sailed into the seas of the Dusty Old Bastards, what did you uh, turn up? Yeah, I'm not going to have the music played this week because we haven't solved it. So Richard, as you know, as everybody knows who listens to this segment, it, it's to do with the cap number when we do a DOB. So 217 is very much uh, the cap of a player who qualifies. That being George oh, yeah. Wood, who played three test matches in 1924. If it were just... If, if we were... If we were absent the bit about his son's achievements uh, that were more impressive and not cricket-related, I'd just go away and tell you George Wood's story now. However, I've spent a lot of time on the internet. um, Full stop, end of sentence, new paragraph. I've spent a lot of time on the internet um, looking up (laughs) Looking up uh, George Wood's life. Full stop. (laughs) (laughs) New paragraph. But I can't find anything to do with any of his offspring. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't a son who went on to do considerable things outside of the cricketing arena. It just means it's not within my search terms. So what I thought I might do, Richard, is let us know during the week if we're right that it relates to George Wood and if it does have to do with one of his kids. And... Once we get to that point, then we'll go away and tell the full story, both father and son. Yeah. Well, I I also had a look around for a son of George Wood and and couldn't find anything, but I am related to several professional historians and archivists. (laughs) So if, Richard, we get the go-ahead that, yes, George Wood is who we're looking at, then I will find his children. I'll find where they live. I'll find their descendants. I'll turn up at their house if need be. You know, these things are with. I love the house, idea of. I really love the idea of you, you commissioning your father, and, you know, esteemed historian, to go away and try and find <laughs> a dusty old bastard or a dirty, an old dirty bastard in this case, uh, by the name of George Wood and his kid. <laughs> That's, that makes me very happy. 
<laughs> Maybe we're actually looking at one of the sons of ODB, um, no longer with us, sadly, um, left <laughs> left this world in a recording studio, I believe. I'm, I'm pretty oh, sure he, um, he he went out as he would have wanted. The the ticker gave up while while he was in the booth laying down some hot bars. So uh, we've still got Hamish Stairs to deal with as mm-hmm. well. So 217, because I was also looking at, at George Wood and so on, I also happened to notice that 217 is the West Indies test cap number of Floyd Reefer. The, it should have been 420, obviously, his cap number, <laughs> but sadly it was not. Floyd Reefer who you probably haven't heard of. You may well not have heard of even if you watched a lot of cricket. He played four tests in the late 90s, made a total of 63 runs in those four tests, and that was it. No thanks, champion. Averaged about 30, just over 30 in first-class cricket. You know, not a compelling career, although he played a lot of first-class cricket. And then came 2009. Bangladesh were visiting. It was the middle of the West Indies player strike, and all of the West Indies players were... Had been shut out by the West Indies Cricket Board So they had to cobble together a team from somewhere And Floyd Reefer was asked to captain it So he got two more test matches, you know, ten years later Didn't make any runs Bangladesh won their first ever series, um, test series And they beat the West Indies in that Which was quite quite glorious Now this is sort of tangential to where I'm going with 217 But 217 is Floyd Reefer playing against Bangladesh with a second string side What happened only a couple of months ago, a few weeks ago, the West Indies had to get together a second string side to go and play Bangladesh, this time because they were touring Bangladesh and a lot of the West Indies uh, key players didn't want to go. And we've talked a lot about the batting average of Kyle Mayers, who is currently averaging 66 after his four tests, the same number that uh, Floyd Reefer played on his first time around. But it's worth noting that Kyle Mayers was originally a bowling all-rounder who somehow made himself into a test number four. He has been doing a little bit of bowling in his test career and he's picked up four wickets and he is averaging 21.7217 apiece and conceding less than two per over. And in terms of players who average 21.7 with the ball, you could also look at one Charlotte Edwards, who we never think about in this capacity, but she bowled leg breaks, Mm. barely bowled the first eight years of her career, didn't bowl at all the last five, but had a patch from 2005 to 2011 where she bowled a lot and took most of her 54 wickets in one day international cricket, four for 30, her best of, and finished with a bowling average of 21.7. So there are some options for you, Hamish. I like it a lot. Of course, Lottie, you picked up a wicket in the 2009 World Cup final at North Sydney Oval. Might have picked up a couple, actually, uh, bowling those leg breaks. Uh, didn't know our bowling average was so low. How about Kyle Mayers, by the way? A, a batting average that they mm. often say the sign of a true all-rounder is a higher batting mm. average than the bowling average. In his case, his batting average is three times his test bowling 45 average. 45 runs. I mean, imagine he maintains that. Excellent. Thank you, Hamish. Thank you, Richard. Uh, Jeff, next up today, Christopher Byrne with 2.46. The 2.46 from Christopher Byrne does come in with a clue. Solely selected, says Christopher, so that it would give you guys an opportunity to say a positive word about one of the 25, (laughs) uh, acknowledging that this person has done quite a lot to court the negative words as well. One of the 25, Adam. One of the 25. I might come back to the 25 at the end and just deal with the 246 to begin with. It's the highest test score of Jeffrey Boycott, uh, who, yes, we have uh, been critical of, uh, well, fairly consistently and routinely uh, on the final word. And it's 
a really interesting story, though, uh, and it kind of says a lot about cricket in the 60s, in England especially. So Boycott makes 246 at Leeds, his home ground, in 1967 against the touring Indians. Uh, they go on to make 550 in their first innings, England, and they eventually uh, win the Test match. But it took Boycott 555 deliveries across 573 minutes, so basically two days, to get to 246. And... The first day of that, he made only 106 not outs. That was his score overnight. And India had lost two bowlers to injury through that day. And it stood out, how slow the innings was stood out so much that astonishingly, they dropped him for the next test match. And the reason they declared was because they thought it was, quote, selfish batting. So Brian Close was the captain and he wanted to keep Boycott in the team. But the selectors were adamant that they dropped Ken Barrington on similar grounds for batting too slowly two summers before in 1965. So they felt like there was a precedent in position. And because Boycott had batted so slowly on a road when India's attack was depleted, that it was only right that he'd be left out of the next test match. So Boycott went and did what he was always going to do and smashed 584 runs in his next four innings for Yorkshire, went out of the test team and forced his way back in for the final engagement of the summer. But he never got over it. As he said when he retired, it's a stigma I will always carry. I won't forget it and I can't forgive because I think it was an unnecessary thing to do. That's calling it the selfish batting. And in terms of the 25, Jeff we think that probably relates to the fact that he was one of 25 rebel tourists. Of course, Boycott finished his career going away to South Africa in 1981, I think it was. So we don't have that exact figure in front of us, but we think that's what it probably relates to. I did have a look into the rebel tours, um, and the first one was a squad of 12, plus they signed three injury replacements later. Right. And the second had a squad of 15. So 30 who went, but maybe there were only 25 who played in those matches. Yeah. That might be... I, I haven't gone through the scorecards to to tally that up. But, yeah, that's what I'm assuming the reference is is about. And what an incredible, like, reference point, though. I mean, making a double ton... I mean. I've got to say, 246 across two days. I mean, sure, it's slow going, but it's not deathly slow going. Per the reports at the time, it was mostly due to having only 106 runs to his name on a day where they felt they could have done better and this precedent in place. But that just wouldn't happen now. I mean, a player Mm. batting terribly slowly, a turgid innings, wouldn't result in being dropped after making that many runs. So yeah, as I say, I think it kind of reflects the times and the way in which they saw themselves as entertainers, perhaps, or some version of that. But yeah, a fascinating footnote to the boycott career that um, his highest score came before a test match where he was dropped and uh, I was truly surprised to hear you say that there was something that he never got over uh, just, just seems very uncharacteristic that he held on to um, held on to a grudge late but just 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 came out of nowhere uh, let us move on shall we yes our next number our final number indeed is another double header it comes in from Will Day and Chris Swales friends of the show both the number is $3.84, and we have an open field to interrogate this number. Adam, 384, what did you make of it? Yeah, I couldn't help but see the lovely contrast between uh, Jeff Boycott, who had that reputation as a player who really played for himself, and the 384th uh, Test cricketer for Australia, Simon Cadditch, who I suppose uh, had the reputation of being the very opposite, of course, out was it four times in the 90s, a couple of times for 99, one of those run out, and generally speaking, kind of the epitome of a, of a team player. 
across his 56 test matches, averaged 45, 10 tonnes, dropped inexplicably at the end of 2010. Thought it was worth going through his story in, in a little bit of detail. So remember, Jeff, when we would have been, I suppose, teenagers, that the only player you would hear talked about as a kid coming through was Simon Cadditch. Oh, this Simon Cadditch at the Cricket Academy. Mm. Oh, he's going to be captain of Australia. He's the guy. He's the man. And that's how it turned out. But I've actually had the chance to talk to Cad about this. He had unrealistic expectations on his shoulders when he first walked in uh, to Shield Cricket as like a 20-year-old or whatever it was, with everybody saying, well, this guy's definitely going to captain Australia one day. Anyway, it took him a couple of years and he started to realise that potential, made five centuries in the summer of 98, 99, got himself on the Test Tour of Sri Lanka later in 1999, eventually got himself a, a Test match in 2001, the Test match that Mark Butcher made his 173. Kadic was the uh, spare bat on that tour and because Steve Waugh didn't play, Cat got his opportunity. He was out again after that but got that extended run through 2003 and 2004, made his first test ton at the SCG in, in the Steve Waugh farewell test match. He went on one of his three India tours in 2004, that successful trip where they finally, what would you say, would, do you climb the final frontier? Do you pass the final frontier? Whatever it was. Uh, do, you, do you reach the final frontier? Whatever it was. Uh, he, the final frontier. He, conquer, there it is. That's the word I'm looking for. They conquered the final frontier with Simon in the side. It's strictly speaking, that doesn't really work because a frontier is a border. You know, so really, I yeah. guess you just cross it. Cross. It's maybe not that eventful. You get there and you, you walk across and you're on the other side, you know. Yep. Australia, America. <laughs> Australia, <laughs> America. <laughs> we don't tolerate that kind of crap in America, sir. He, Simon was uh, obviously in the 05 Ashes team because I say obviously that, that, that they are the test matches which we've seen more than any other as far as highlights and, and all the rest and unfairly dropped yes. after I felt he, he got a couple of stinking decisions and and uh, was uh, collateral damage uh, there. It took him a couple of years to I get back. I just remember him being not, not out for about a day and a half while it rained. Um, that's my defining memory of the 05 Ashes for Simon. And there's that leg before wicket, I think in the fourth test match which pitches like six inches outside the leg stump and he's walking off the ground I mean he's got a he's got a temper on him as we know and uh, um, he wasn't wasn't too pleased was it perhaps Billy Bowden who might have made the fateful decision there but anyway it takes until um, the 2007 eight shield season where he goes bananas and hits Billy Bowden was standing on his head just spitting on the spot at the time doing some break dance too or something (laughs) Speaking of Billy Bowden, two things to note about Billy Bowden. First of all, he umpired the England-New Zealand games recently, the women's games, which was a total throwback. I'm like, wow, this guy's still doing his job. And the other thing is that, you know, I mean, you've seen how I've been able to teach Winnie to to do certain tricks because she's a small baby and thus impressionable. One of the things I've got her doing now is her Billy Bowden, where she puts her finger up and down like this, which I thought was quite quite cute. Uh, So there's the um, making the telephone noise when she touches my belly button and doing her Billy Bowden. And she knows what it means. She does her finger like up and down again. Um, this won't work on the podcast, but Jeff can see what I'm yep. talking about. It's pretty amazing that one of the first things she can comprehend is um, is a Billy Bowden um, finger. But I think that's good parenting. <laughs> he lives on. But it the fact on. that he's bobbed, I didn't notice he was playing. The, I've been watching the games, but I didn't notice. Yeah, yeah. The the, um, uh, the England games um, that, that were played in, in, uh, in February, I suppose they would have been. Uh, yeah, he was officiating mm. those. Um, back to Cat. What an incredible second stanza of his test career. I mean, from 2008 until 2010, he makes eight centuries in 33 tests, averages over 50. And that's when uh, Michael Clark, in his infinite wisdom, who turned 40 last weekend, I should say, thought that he would dump Kadic, who he'd had a couple of run-ins with along the way. And that was that as far as his test career was concerned. He went on to keep playing first-class cricket until 2014, finishing up in England, a 58 
first class hundreds, an average of 53. And yes, one of the, the greats of that generation, even though his test career, he didn't go on to play 100 test matches or anything like that. I think it's fair to say that from that generation, that superb generation, he, he was truly one of the standout performers. Simon Kadic, test cap 384. That goes to Will Day. As for Chris Swales, I recall that Chris's last number, he's had a number before. Um, this is his second number. You can do that on Nerd Pledge. You can edit your number once it's been done. And Chris's last number related to Nathan Lyon, who only recently, relatively, in terms of the, the number of wickets anyway, more than in terms of time, uh, claimed wicket 384 in his career, now that he's up to 399, which would have meant that he went past Ian Botham's 383. But I decided that I wasn't convinced that getting Kiwi fast bowler Matt Henry stumped at the MCG in the second of four innings um, in a, a, a large win was particularly notable. Um, so maybe wicket number 384 was was not what Chris was going for. He didn't want me to recall that in great detail. One of Nathan Lyon's 17 career stumpings, wickets uh, taken by stumpings rather. Nathan's not performing the stumpings himself. It's very nearly Glenn McGrath's one-day batting average, which is 3.83, not 3.84. Disappointed to miss out on that one. So I decided in the end, it's going to relate to Keith Miller's debut test series, if you will, uh, because he he debuted in a single test in New Zealand earlier in 1946, but then his first full series was the 46-47 Ashes, in which he did things like taking nine for 77 in a match in Brisbane, made 79 in that match, made his first ton. Uh, Usman Khawaja's favourite number, 141 not out in Adelaide, and finished up for the series with 16 wickets at 20 and 384 runs at an average of 77.384 for Keith Miller, who we spoke about on the show a few weeks ago, um, but just coming back to that. Very nice, Jeff. I think that might be a nice place to leave it for our new numbers. You can send us a nerd pledge, patron.com forward slash the final word. We mentioned at the start of the show that we're above 600, charging towards 614. Uh, if you want to jump on now in the next couple of weeks, it'll well, the next week and a half, I suppose, it'll give you the chance to join Jeff and me to watch us record our weekly show on what might be the 20th of April, I think, Jeff. So yes, get on board, patron.com forward slash a final word, ping us a nerd pledge. Uh, as we've said throughout the course of the last 12 months or so, it has made all the difference having so many people out there willing to support us from around the cricketing world. We just love getting your messages and DMs, the beautiful little community there of people talking to each other in the comments and all the rest of it. So if you can join us, that would be lovely. We'll take a break. And when we return, a few revisits, some confirmations, some correspondence, and some bannermans. Hi, I'm Ebony Rainford Brent, and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Jeff, it occurred to me when listening back to Storytime last week that we didn't do the best job we could have possibly done when explaining the Wisdom Cricketers Almanac of 2021 and the various offers. We got there in the end, but it took us about mm. seven minutes to explain uh, the various connotations <laughs> and permutations. Here's the key information. By listening to the final word, you unlock a number of ways to receive a discounted copy of the Bible of Cricket coming out next week. Lawrence Booth will be on the final word to tell us all about it. And now we're going to tell you how to pre-order it and get yourself a sweet, sweet discount. Over to you, Jeff. I like that. That was very efficient. Uh, the Wisdom Almanac is a large book. 
about cricket. It comes out once a year and it contains all of the information that you could wish to know about the cricket that happened in the preceding year. That's the fundamental concept <laughs> of the Wisdom Element Act. That's the elevator pitch when you're trying to get that movie <laughs> greenlit. <laughs> <laughs> starring any one of various Hemsworths, um, that's how you get it done. So it's a big book, which means it's an expensive book, normally, unless you buy it uh, through these sweet hints that we can give you, in which case it becomes a much cheaper book. Yeah, and here's the thing, Jeff. Thick book, right? Thick book. I've mm -hmm. got 30 or 40 possibly sitting on my shelf as I look up at the moment. Indeed, my computer is currently balanced on the 19... 89, 1990, and 1991 editions of Wisdom. This year, Straight flush. instead of there being about 1,100 pages, there are 288 fewer pages to trawl through. However, there are 60 more pages of writing. So what Lawrence Booth, the editor, has done is realised and acknowledged that there was less cricket played in 2020 due to COVID, and he's really indulged uh, the first two sections of the book where you get all your fantastic essays. And in this particular edition, there's a big focus on, on what COVID-19 did to cricket, but also Black Lives Matter. That was such a big part of the conversation around the sport in 2020, so it was only appropriate that features right up the front, alongside all the usual bits and pieces that we love, leading cricketers in the world, the five wisdom cricketers, and yes, some of the best cricket writing. I know that when you and I have written for the Almanac in the past, that uh, whatever we get paid for it, uh, I mean, there's a standard rate you get paid. We put in at least four or five times the amount of work into a Wisdom Almanac essay that you might for a normal article because it's special. You know that people like us will ultimately be reading these pieces in 30 or 40 years' time. You want the words to matter, and they always do in the good book. All of that is true. Uh, you know that it's there to last. And so you can get those words which are going to last and you can look back on them in years to come fondly as you might with your descendants perhaps. And, you know, you'd rather that your descendants cost you 30% less than they will cost you. Um, and that is what can happen with this offer. So if you're in Australia or if you're in the USA, all you have to do is pre-order it before the publication date, uh, which for America is in June, for Australia it's in August, whatever. Just do it this month or next month, you'll be fine. You pre-order it by going to wisdomelmanac.com slash 2021 and you put in a code which is WM30. All of that will be in the show notes. You don't need to remember that. Just read the texty bit underneath this episode and you will get a 30% discount, which is a lot considering it costs £55. So 30% of that is heaps. You work it out. I don't have time for this. Then if you're in the UK, you can subscribe to it and you can buy this £55 book for £35 when you subscribe. So there are various options there that you can do in concert with magazine subscriptions or subscribing on its own or for certain amounts of time and all the rest of it. The important thing is they're all at Wisdom Almanac with a CK, Almanac, almanac.com slash 2021. Uh, go there, sort it out. Don't say we didn't want it. Hi, I'm Matt Renshaw and you're listening to the Final Word Podcast. Final Word Story Time, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Time to revisit some numbers that we got wrong and you helped us hopefully get them right. The first of which is 258 for Abilash Singh. We reflected upon one of the all-time great DOBs that of Harry, William, Ginger, Lee. Abilash loved being part of that segment. An honour being part of the dusty old bastard. So I, I'm, I'm grateful that he felt that way. There's another clue though, Jeff, which you've gone and tended to, and it is every batsman should try and give a simple catch to this player and enjoy their career best performance. Over to you. 
I'm going to start by saying I don't know the answer <laughs> to this. Um, and, and so th- this is one where I wanted to get the crowd in because I like this clue. I just can't quite work out it means wh- what it means. So, so ponder it for a second. Every batsman should try to give a simple catch to this player and enjoy their career best performance. So what I started thinking about was, is there a player who has caught a number of other players who've made their highest score in right. test cricket for the sake of argument because that was the, the easiest one to look at. But what I've found is that there's nothing really obvious among the, the top catch takers across the history of the game. So Mark Boucher only, uh, of players who made over 100, say, mm-hmm. that I was looking at, Boucher caught Wavell Hines for 213, that, but that was Boucher's only highest score player who he dismissed. Adam Gilchrist only caught Paul Collingwood for his 206. MS Dhoni got Brendan McCullum for the 302. And Gary Balance, <laughs> your favourite for whatever that was, 150-something. More my favourite for what he did off the cricket field in that nightclub in Nottingham. But anyway. Oh, tonight I'm not a cricketer. I'm just a drunken bastard. One day I will party with Gary Balance and it'll be a great night. Balance. Gary Balance. Uh, Mushfika Rahim got Martin Guptill for his, what is it, 189 did Guptill get? Yep. And Kusal Mendes for his 196. But, the, you know, there was nobody who had, say, four or five players for their, their highest scores. So I don't know if I'm completely on the wrong track with that. But I wanted to see what people think. I'm actually curious in the... Uh, the crowd response to this. So to revisit that number once again, uh, it, the number is 258 and the clue is every batsman should try and give a simple catch to this player and enjoy their career best performance. So either it's not about cricket at all and it's something sort of sneaky with the words or it is and I'm not getting it. But over to you. Let us know. Send us a message. Yeah, that's a good one to send away. So thank you, Abolashing. We'll keep that going into a third week. Next up, we have Peter T with 614. I always think of when I read that name, Peter G, who was the fantastic VFA mm. commentator when we were kids on, on Channel 2. We said for 614, either Imran Khan, 6 for 14 against India, which we've talked about a couple of times, or uh, Gary Gilmore's in the World Cup semi-final of 1975. Mm. Uh, Peter informed us that He's not a cricket historian, so he enjoyed learning about those old two stories. However, 614 for him is a more contemporary and esoteric number. It's a South Australian number associated with one of my favourite one-day matches. The number represents non-standard bowling figures, i.e. they represent wickets taken and something other than the total runs conceded. Not sure how much that helps, but I hope it does. Well, Jeff, I reckon it might have. It helped a lot, Peter. It helped a lot because 6 and 14, but not in a standard bowling analysis related to South Australia in one-day cricket. How could it be anything but the day that the wild thing, Sean Tate, took six wickets and bowled 14 wides <laughs> in a match against New South Wales? So all up, uh, 6 for 41, but that means he conceded 27 off the bat. <laughs> And 14 whites so <laughs> didn't bowl any no balls that day. The, the great thing about this is that he took those six wickets while defending 154. That's what South Australia had made. He was batting at number 11, made a duck. They were defending 154 against a strong New South Wales side. New South Wales got their nine wickets down because <laughs> Sean Tate just wrecked them. Five of the top six, including a, a run out for the other one, mm. just smashed through them. Um, and you could argue that if he hadn't conceded the 14 wides, then it, it would have... Um, been almost impossible for New South Wales to win but also if he had bowled any differently he probably wouldn't have taken the six wickets so they got their nine wickets down and who was the hero with the bat but 
SCG Miguel four not out to steer <laughs> New South Wales home to that win at number eleven. Uh, that is Peter T's six fourteen. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Jeff. Good to get final word faves, Stuart McGill, and back into the show. Next in our revisit section is four eighty four from the president. Richard Bond McNally. We talked about Martin Donnelly. We talked about a stacked England team in two thousand and three, but neither of those were correct, Jeff. Yeah, uh, the president uh, says that. We are correct in thinking that he's based in the UK um, and says that while I have no personal ambition to become president here, should the people slash army put their trust in me, <laughs> then it would be my solemn and sacred duty to serve. Uh, we'll have to revisit 484, he says. It's related to his last pledge. However, it's about a man who never played county cricket. His last pledge was 366, which was the score that Neil Fairbrother made in the famous summer of 1990 when uh, the cricket ball had all the stitches taken out and basically every batsman in the world made a million runs. Yes. And Neil Fairbrother made 366. So we've got to have something related to Neil Fairbrother <laughs> that relates to someone who never played count. <laughs> well, Jeff, as uh, as you scolded me for last week, I've read some of the clue, but not all of the clue. I knew Richard's last <laughs> pledge was Neil Fairbrother. And as soon as I saw that, I got cracking. I didn't read the bit about it being a player who never played county cricket. But nevertheless, I'll be incorrect in saying Ken Shuttleworth, who's also from Lancashire, who played five test matches under Illingworth in that successful and famous tour of 1970-71, including 5 for 47 on debut at the Gabba. He was a quick bowler, but unfortunately never got the chance to play test matches again. Played in the first one-day international ever played, indeed. Has the first wicket in one-day international cricket for England at the MCG after there was that rained-out test in early 71. That was Keith Stackpole. A long career with Lancashire, either side of his international career, where he took 484 wickets at just under... 23, another 147 wickets at, first, at one day level rather, mm-hmm. at a, an average of just 18. He's very well known uh, if I understand the story correctly, for having thoroughly indulged and enjoyed himself during a centenary test. So they all got invited to stay at the Hilton, or what was known as the Hilton then, Jeff Crossroad from the MCG. Mm-hmm. Every player who was alive got it gone, got an invite, got a flight to Melbourne for that week and he was allegedly best on ground every single night and then much, much later um, became a first-class umpire between 1998 and 2003. But despite the fact that he took 484 wickets for the same county as Neil Fairbrother, it can't be him because, yes, the second half of the clue, which I didn't read. <laughs> I really did tell you off for that, didn't I? I was like, you're wasting your time. You're, waste- it's like that story you're wasting about, your mother's you know, time. You're wasting... <laughs> the, 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 the baby balloon that goes into his parents' room in the night and, like, undoes... The dad's valve a bit and lets a bit of air out and then undoes mum's valve a bit and lets some air out and then in the morning they come into his room and they say, we know what you did last night. You've let me down. You've let your father down. (laughs) 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 What is it, Jeff? (laughs) What is it? Tell us 484. 484. I've got no idea with this one either. But I just wanted to let you know that while I was looking forensically at Mark Boucher um, trying to solve the previous number about who he dismissed for their highest score, I just happened to notice that Mark Boucher took 484 list A catches. Now, that's our number. And I thought, hmm, 484, that's familiar. That looks like a number I've been sweating over for two hours already today. 484 catches in list A cricket and never played county cricket. So I thought, could it be related to Mark Boucher? Does he have any link to Neil Fairbrother? Yes, because they did play against one another 
in Bangladesh in 1998 in the Wills International <laughs> Cup when a red-letter day for England when Neil Fairbrother and Adam Hollyoak set the English record partnership for the sixth wicket in one day as of 112, a record that's been broken about 80 times in the years since when England got good at one-day cricket. But it was one of those extremely hot Bangladesh days and Adam Hollyoak basically got heat stroke and couldn't captain the fielding innings because he was so exhausted. But yeah, Boucher was playing in the South African team that day. I don't think that has anything to do with 484, <laughs> but it was fun. Let us know, President McNally. Uh, it's not going to be Ken Shuttleworth. It's probably not going to be Mark Boucher, but you will give us the correct answer and we'll come back to it for a third time yeah, I think next this is week. White flag time for, yes. for the prayers. I, I think I think we're surrendering to the um, the standing army, the well-regulated militia of <laughs> President Richard Bond McNally. And Jeff, we might take out some insurance actually before we move off the prez. Um, we better make sure, given he, he might have a coup attempt in him at some point, uh, that we make him the C-Bus Super Performer of the Weekend. We don't want to get caught in the crossfire. Yeah, I think that's probably wise. It's <laughs> like, like giving Prince Philip a knighthood or whatever. It was just insurance. Can't hurt. Uh, don't throw away your innings in retirement, President. Visit cbussuper.com.au slash the final word. You can get a PDS there to find out if CBUS Super is right for you and you can remember that past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. That you can and you can remember that it's a great time to get your superannuation sorted out. If you haven't got it dealt with, go to CBUS. Let them help you. Uh, they have helped us over a long period of time. We love you CBUS. We do. We love you CBUS. It's true. We love you CBUS. We do. Oh, CBUS, we love you. Uh, next up we have uh, Pat McKeon. Uh, now, we said Gregor McGregor among myriad other Scottish links. I like Gregor McGregor the most so I pulled it out as the reference there for 352 mm. we didn't actually hear back from Pat yet but we did from Greg Sykes and I quite like this and it'll certainly be what he was talking about Gavin Hamilton used to watch him growing up playing for Yorkshire says Greg he was famous for playing one test for England bagging a pair and taking none for 63 however he was far more successful playing one day internationals for Scotland he finished his career with 1,231 one day runs at 35.17 or 35.2 the number is 3.52 it works for me I've actually got Gavin Hamilton's phone number I sent him a number of whatsapps a couple of years ago Desperately trying to interview him um, to be our Scottish rep on the greatest season that was presents '99, and he left me on blue bombers for like each time I wrote him, I get the I get the red receipts, the two blue ticks. Never did I receive a reply. So <laughs> obviously he had absolutely no interest in talking to our podcast about the '99 World Cup, where I think from mm. memory he made about eighty odd against the Australians in the first game of the tournament, but not to be. But I'm pretty sure that'll be uh, the solution for Pat McKeon. However, can I say that? Bagging a pair and taking none for 63 with the ball. He'd be an absolute walk-up start for Derry Ishmael Khan. <laughs> Maybe we should drop him another message and see if we can get him on the tour. It's um, worth a try. And get him into Got that. Got the number. Yeah, you know, see if it's worth another, uh, another salvo. Uh, Jeff, next one for you here. Now, we, for 168 and Jesse G, we initially said uh, Jonathan Trott at Melbourne, 2010, famous innings, one of his best Mm -hmm. We looked at Keith Miller 
It was his test cap. Jesse gave us a lot of clues. I think the main one to, to reflect upon is that it is a considerable score from a player for a country that isn't one of the big three, but it really stands out for that country. That, that's the best synthesis of, of the clues that Jesse sent us. And that sent you into the Pakistani spreadsheets. And also worth noting that Jesse's first number as a multiple pledger as well related to the four consecutive one-day international centuries scored by Kumar Sangakkara. So just pop that in the back of your mind. Mm -hmm. 168 as a test match score, and as the highest score in a test match, that was the other the other clue there, is a score that Zahir Abbas made to beat India in the third test of a series in 1982-3. So it wasn't the first time that Pakistan had beaten India in a series, but it was still a Pakistan-India series, a six-test series, uh, a massive deal. I think Pakistan had won the first test, there'd been a draw in the second, so winning this third one meant they went 2-0 up in six tests that happened in Pakistan where a lot of games were drawn, so it pretty much sealed the series. You know, it, it, it mm. would have it made it extremely difficult to, for them to countenance losing the series from there, and they made a massive score. They made 652. Four players made tons. I liked the uh, the span of the characters who made the tons, so Javed me and Dad, presumably batting in the I Love New York cap, Salim Malik, sports betting enthusiast Salim Malik, Imran Khan, the massive root rat, as he was at that stage of his life, and then Zahir Abbas, the the tall, bespectacled, graceful right-hander. So as far as a link to Kumar Sangakkara goes, because Jesse did say that there was some connection, one's a right-hander, one's a left-hander. Zahir Abbas didn't keep wickets, so they do have a gracefulness that, that you could say they share. They're both relatively taller and languid sort of players, but... As far as something that could link them, Zahir Abbas was a prolific one-day international player as well. Not so much remembered for that, but you know, really one of the greats in that era uh, and was the first player to ever make three one-day international centuries in consecutive ah. innings. Quite a few players have done that since, but he was the first to do it and thus equally held that record until Sangakkara went past that with four. And an interesting sort of link to that, which may not be related to what Jesse's thinking, is that the 168 he made in the test match was actually the last in a run of five international tons in consecutive innings. So we've talked a lot about Everton Weeks being the only player to make five test centuries in consecutive innings and then get given run out with a dodgy decision on 90 in the sixth. But Zahir Abbas did this in a mix of tests and one-day internationals. He made 100 in the first test of this series and the second and the third, only batted once in each of those test matches and played two one-days in between where he also made hundreds. Right. So he made five consecutive hundreds for Pakistan. In the sixth innings, it was in a test match and he was not out for a low score, didn't get much of a chance to bat, but wasn't dismissed. And then played a one-dayer after that and made another 100. So he actually made five out of uh, six, or, or six out of seven, rather, in the streak that he put together. So maybe in terms of sick streaks, I think he's also a player who made a 200 and a 100 in a test, where Sankakara went on to make a 300 and a 100 in a test. Mm -hmm. So there are some, some links to the Sri Lankan maestro which might satisfy Jesse, and if not, 
I'm white flagging on that one as well. That is the best that I can do for you, Jesse G. If it's good enough for you and it's good enough for me, let's hope it's good enough for our good friend, Jesse G. That's the end of our revisits for today. Uh, let's confirm some numbers that we did get right uh, in previous episodes. The first of those was from Bernie Prince. We last week paid tribute to Torquil McKillop's unbeaten 205 for Tallangatta Cricket Club. Bernie wrote us to say he's proud to listen to our podcast and he thanks us for addressing mental health and uh, not just the token gestures that other media outlets give it he says that he trusted us with his sadness and we handled it with empathy and context and um yeah that was a very kind message to receive and uh, yeah again we we hope that you're going okay bernie and likewise everyone at the talangata cricket club yeah thanks bernie we appreciate those words very much the 727 from Ilya andrews which linked us to Frank Tyson, uh, who we speculated must have been Ilya's cricket coach. Indeed, that was correct. Uh, Frank Tyson coached Graham Yellop in the 60s and then when Ilya was spending some time at uh, Carey Grammar is where that must be. He'd, he'd ended up all the way back there in the 1990s and was uh, was overseeing operations once again. Uh, that school also produced, Ilya says, the Wizard of Wangaratta. Graham Vimpani, um, who has been on the show possibly more times than his cricketing record deserves. A disproportionate um, number of times I, relative to what he did for Victoria. Thanks to Dane Hanstead, of course, on that front. I stumbled across a Rob Alinda clip of um, Graham Vimpani playing a reverse sweep um, or maybe a switch hit. He actually changes his hands on the bat in a tournament that was very confusing. The scorecard was confusing the hell out of me until I realised it was a Malaysia Super Sixes or something where you could score, you know, eight or 12 off a single mm. ball because all the players were like 78 from 33 balls. And I'm like, <laughs> this is the 1990s. What's going on here? Um, yeah, so Vimpani, he's, he still pops around. Uh, Jeff Allardyce yep. was another one um, who we, you know, constantly harangue about <laughs> the rules of the game and what needs to be done and also Dean Kino uh, who worked for CA and Damien Bone Bound, who worked for, for CA as well so there's a, a fair bit of cricket connection to Ilya's uh, Elmo Mater. And uh, Ilya was also pleased to hear that Frank Tyson clip we dropped into story time last week when he sums up the end of the centenary test calling it the Olympic Games of Cricket I love that, I love that bit at the end of that documentary so a good excuse to watch it again and listen back on story time 309 uh, jeff was joel burton we talked about joel garner's one day international economy rate staggering economy rate three runs and over incredible uh, we got it and joel said it was our show is a lovely way to unwind listening to the two of us after a rough shift uh, well joel it's great to have your company as it is every week uh, nick o'connell 663 jeff you are spot on in saying it was Callum Ferguson's one-day international run haul. Uh, next was 385 from Ethan Morgan. Uh, we talked about uh, Chandra Sekera. Uh, Ethan came back to us and solved it, essentially. So uh, Martin Love uh, is is the number. Jeff, you, you, you nodded to this in your original answer. He is Ethan's favourite cricketer of all time. And back in 2019, he originally had this, this number for us and came back to it, but he loved all the options we went through. But 385 being Martin Love's cap number is what Ethan was pointing us towards. Mike Lee says that two quid 36 was indeed 236 Carl Hooper's highest first class score made at Kent. Mike says growing up in Kent in the 1990s he was the epitome of overseas star the languid stroll to the crease the sun hat, the ability to change a game with bat or ball as David Fulton put it in choosing Kent's greatest 11 in Wisden Cricket Monthly touched by genius and then David Crook uh, the $4.21 regarding P 
Pat Cummins figures at Adelaide. After the result in Adelaide, says David, I was hoping Cummins' series average might be low enough to make for a good pledge number. Alas, he ended up carrying half the attack and it blew out to double figures. <laughs> so I reverted to the Adelaide demolition. It had to be Cummins because I'm all about the great man. Whom, whomst amongst us um, can, can resist the, the enormous blue eyes and shining smile of Pat Cummins. Um, so, uh, yeah, and David was happy to see Nathan Lyon's cap was number 421 just as a bonus. Thank you, David. Uh, the last of our revisits, Jeff, you're going to enjoy this. This was 614 and the other 614 from Richard Clark. We correctly, via Richard's help, uh, worked out that it was his daughter Emily 6 for 14 for Worcestershire's under-15s back in 2015. Mm. Now, we looking at the scorecard thought that they must have been defending 144 and that she essentially bowled out Herefordshire at the last to pull off a stunning mm. win. That's not quite how it played we out. We were very excited. We were extremely excited. We reconstructed <laughs> the entire last couple of overs, ball by ball, working out what the score must have been at various points, when the wickets fell, and just what a ridiculous performance this was, defending four off the last over uh, to win the game, alas. Yes, in the end, Worcestershire bowled first, not second. Uh, that was... Uh, Herefordshire, they, they defeated. But Emily also scored the winning run. They needed one run to win, and she squeezed a single <laughs> yes. through backward point. In confusion, they ran two, and the scorers put it down as two in the book rather than one. Four not out is also her career best at county level. Uh, unfortunately, she's no longer playing, but the time she had playing for Worcestershire was a, a great one, according to our old man, playing 50-odd games in the age groups, which is something that he was never able to do. Richard supported Worcestershire his whole life. It's the county where his dad, so Emily's granddad, took Richard when he was still in nappies, and he's a life member there now at age 82. So for her to play uh, at that ground where Glenn Turner made his century before lunch, the day that Charles and Diana got married in 1981, the same ground that was shared with the local football club they also, also supported throughout their lives and where the granddad is now president, it all means a tremendous amount to the family that Emily was able to um, be part of that tradition and, and, and wear the cap of uh, Worcestershire for those five years. So... I thought that was a, a nice way to tie off that 6-14, Jeff. And have a pretty decent day out, 6-14 uh, for 14 and 4 not out, her, uh, her high score. Five wickets in and over, the... of course, the 6-14, we probably buried the lead yeah. there. That's why it's so significant. Yeah, five in and over, just the casual. <laughs> no hat trick, just five in and over, no fuss. You know, don't want to hog the limelight. <laughs> we like to finish this show off with uh, a little bit of Bannerman Watch, where we look for Bannerman-related scores. That is, scores in which one player has made more than 67.35% of the runs in a completed innings. Alan Edgar has sent through what he's calling a reverse Bannerman. So we've had a lot of variations on the Bannerman recently. The reverse, says Alan, has the criteria that it's an opener who carries their bat but sees the team make more than 67.35% <laughs> of the total runs. So you get Bannermans by the rest of the players despite batting through the entire innings. The most interesting is from the man who, as a result, holds the third lowest individual first-class score from a player carrying his bat. This is none other than Alec Bannerman, younger brother of Charles <laughs> Bannerman, who blocked an unbeaten seven runs from the 60 
made off 45 overs by the Australians in 1893 in Canterbury. So uh, the, the breadth of bannermaning in within the one family is extraordinary. Thank you, Alan, for sending that through. That's an absolute corker. And uh, John O'Halen also sent through a bannerman, non-bannerman. I think we were calling it a fanerman last week, the fake bannermans, um, yeah. which was made on the... Maybe we could spell it with an F-A-U-X, like a phonerman. Yes. You know, oh, just, to, just to really be classy. That'll do the trick. And this is from the day that uh, Jodie Hicks played in the grand final a couple of weeks ago, of course, John being our um, Jodie Hicks correspondent. It falls into the category of a successful chase that uh, we described recently, which is technically why it's a non-Bannerman. So Jono was keeping an eye on a two-day fixture with a bunch of players he um, used to coach uh, playing in a senior grand final for Seven Hills RSL, playing against Kings Langley in the B6 division. And poor old Sevo were rolled for 89. And then they went on to jag a couple of wickets late on day one. They continued to roll through Kings Langley on day two and none of the batters could surpass three runs so they're in a pretty good position with the ball defending 89 except for their number six Raj Deep Singh who came out with the score at four for 13 and then Kings Langley got to their victory target nine for 91 they win by one wicket and Rajdeep Singh finishes with 62 not out which is 68.13% and the next best score Four, their team was just three. Talk about a match-winning effort. Coming in at four for 13, chasing 90, making an unbeaten 62. No one else makes more than three. Yes, it may not be a bannerman, but in excess of 67.35 as an honorary bannerman and a, a mighty grand final winning effort, Jeff. Well, maybe if you make that sort of percentage of the runs nine wickets down in a run chase, it should be called a Rajdi. <laughs> maybe that deserves to have its own naming um, structure. And so, you know, you can you can send us Rajdeeps as well if you happen to find any. Uh, a little bit of correspondence from Anurban. I was just interested in this because we've been talking about cricket in America quite a bit recently. The the gentlemen of Philadelphia with the first class status that their team enjoys that World Series cricket does not. Uh, the USA playing against Australia in the Champions Trophy, etc. Et and Urban's been reading Ralph Waldo Emerson um, of, of, of that sort of early era of rugged American outdoors stuff and, and has found various cricket references which he thinks is interesting because uh, you don't expect to find them in, in American literature. Uh, this from an essay called Experience. Nature does not like to be observed and likes that we should be her fools and playmates. We may have the sphere for our cricket ball, but not a berry for our philosophy. Which I take to mean that we can we can play with the world as we would with a cricket ball, but we're not allowed to look at fruit. Uh, that, that is my understanding of, of that line. So, yes, uh, some Americans were aware of cricket. That's a thing. That's a very nice high-end way to interpret that from an urban and American cricket, the relationship between the game and the country. All I can think of, though, is Mr Sheffield. <laughs> Mr Sheffield Shield. <laughs> and we, we did say on the weekly show that um, that we <laughs> we positing that we want to see the Sheffield Shield have a an exhibition game uh, between the two teams that play in the final in uh, Flushing, Queens, where Fran Drescher mm. comes and 
comes and watches. And, well, if you want to hear more about that, I refer you to the weekly show. And our very last bit uh, of correspondence uh, for this week, Jeff, uh, comes from Will Unwin. It's a simple piece of correspondence as well about his brother, Chris, who has his birthday uh, on the 11th of April next week. And he wanted to uh, put forward number 217 for his brother, the amount of times Chris Unwin left it on middle during his cricket career. And happy birthday and all the rest. I like it. From one brother to another, Will to Chris. And from all of us, Chris, we hope you have a great day on the 11th of April. Jeff, I think that's the end of the show. Thank you to everybody who's popped their head up with a nerd pledge. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash the final word. We've said it before. We'll say it again. We love making the weekend show. It's time consuming. It's a lot of work, but it is absolutely worth it, as is all the various conversations we have on our Patreon page. We'd love to have you part of it. Patreon.com forward slash the final word. Uh, we're grateful to all the support we get from C by Super. Uh, likewise, the Wisdom Almanac, uh, as we mentioned before, look in the show notes for um, your chance to get a significant and sweet discount on the good book when it's released later in the week. And Jeff, we're also ever so grateful uh, to the team at Bad Producer Productions. Bad Producer Podcast Network, they have shows, other shows that are about other things. So, you know, you probably don't need another cricket show, but you could go and listen to some shows about something else. I don't know what you've got to fill your time. Um, That's a decision for you. Thanks to Dave Collins, who edits the show uh, week in, week out, twice week in, twice week out. And uh, thanks to Adam, who makes the show with me. You may have noticed that's that's fairly essential. I think it would be difficult to do this on my own. This has been the final word story time. Have a lovely weekend. Bye, so you know what I meant. I had to go.